0: This is the Pain Information Network. More to learn. I have a real interesting doctor from Oregon on today, and uh, Peter is with us today, Peter Kovac, to talk to us about coagulation and bleeding. That's kind of a yawner, isn't it? Well, not to doctors. (laughs) To those people that... Uh, do interventional procedures such as surgeons, uh, interventionists like ourselves. We really care about bleeding because bleeding is one of those things that we'd consider not an insignificant complication, particularly if it's around either a major vessel, comma, around nerves or something like that. We want to know how we can best control it because The world is becoming more anticoagulated. Believe it or not, there's more of these medicines out there that are helping us reduce medical problems, and that's great. But we have to come off these anticoagulants very carefully before we have medical procedures, or not at all if the risk-ward benefit is not in that favor. So we're going to get into this today, and we appreciate any information and and back talk you can give us at paininformation.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. It really helps us rank, and I so appreciate that. It's uh, just one of those things that a little bit goes a long way. And you can leave a message for me on uh, paininformation.com. I read them all, and for future topics, I'd just love to know what you want to hear. So let's get to it today i have with me peter kosek from uh, eugene oregon it's great to have him We're at another American Society of Interventional Pain Physician meeting. This is a a really good meeting on interventional techniques. We've talked about this. Also practice management and controlled substances. We're here at the cadaver course, actually, where we learn how to apply those theoretical skills to hands-on. Everybody hears about doctors using cadavers in medical school, but you'd be surprised. This is a lifelong journey. Uh, The unique thing that Peter has stressed over the course of this weekend is that these procedures do have risk. And one of those risks is bleeding. Bleeding sounds like nothing, okay, I got a bruise. But you can't get a bruise in the spinal column. And you'd be surprised what can cause bleeding. So before we get started, uh, Peter, I left out some things about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice.
1: I practice interventional pain management in a multidisciplinary group with a a naturopath and a psychologist and a sports medicine physician in eugene we have uh, full interventional pain uh, services there as well as behavioral care
0: that's great a naturopath tell us what a naturopath is
1: a naturopath uh, has the ability to prescribe in the state of oregon all but a few medications and uh, attempts to manage uh, patients symptoms with more natural techniques including things like changes in diet changes in exercise um, and uh, naturopathic uh, therapies for example uh, herbs spices
0: yeah that's great i I think we could all use a little of that in our practice because uh, as allopaths we are allopaths more traditionally thought of physicians we don't get any of that kind of training and you know we need the broad brush stroke we need to learn manipulative medicine we need to learn soft tissue and what do we leave out big in our practice diet so you know and it does play a big role in that so Tell us how it affects bleeding and how it might affect us as we are treating you, the patient, uh, particularly with spinal injections.
1: Well, let me let me delay that question just a moment and, and move just to the question of bleeding and spinal injections because it is the great fear of all interventionalists that they'll cause a catastrophic spinal bleed. For spinal injections, such a bleed is either a subarachnoid or an epidural bleed that can cause... Either slow onset, delayed, or sudden onset paralysis that requires emergent surgery to treat.
0: What do they do when they uh, do the surgery
1: for an epidural bleed, which is perhaps the most dangerous? They'll decompress the epidural canal with, with a laminectomy at the extension of the of the bleed, and often that's a certainly emergency and relatively invasive procedure
0: yeah what a, a laminectomy is is what, what they do is just like they um, make space in the spine sometimes they have to take a little bit of bone and all but if we can get to it soon enough and it's a recognized complication you know we take this stuff seriously uh it's reversible but it, I, i'm going to emphasize to folks that do get injections if something's not right you got to let us know isn't that right
1: That is critical. We want to know if there's new onset weakness, and we want to know if there's a progressive new type of back pain or if there's any change in bladder or bowel function. It's time to emergently be evaluated, not the next day. That's not the time to be the polite patient who waits till Tuesday.
0: Yeah, wake us up in the middle of the night. We don't mind. Believe me, we don't mind. Okay, well, all right, let's talk about some medications that might be a problem.
1: So the groups of medications that are given to patients to prevent thrombus, and patients have... Lots of uh, morbidity and mortality for thrombus. The most common in the United States is heart attack, followed by stroke, and then venous thrombus with clots in the legs that can go to the lungs and cause pulmonary emboli, which are often lethal. Mm -hmm. Because of these conditions, patients who suffered them or are at high risk for them will often be put on therapy that thins the blood, the quintessential blood thinners, There are many classes of blood thinners. They range from aspirin to to Coumadin uh, to the new 10A inhibitors that are all potent uh, anticoagulants.
0: For folks that don't know what 10A is, there's a cascade that we look at, and and there's different elements of the cascade. When you start bleeding, the clotting efforts start, start, and sometimes this cascade needs contact with the tissue or the site of bleeding. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So the cascade typically begins by activation at the site of the injured tissue, which is why patients who've had major trauma to tissue are at higher risk of having clots. You want that clot to form some to stop bleeding, but you don't want the clot to overform. As a cascade is initiated and in, in the tissue, it then moves to a series of factors, culminating in ten A, activated factor ten. Activated factor ten then converts thrombin- thrombinogen factor two to thrombin, which that's down a clot. I think I've just been a little too technical. The 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 no, the. No, no.
0: Not at all. No, this is stuff that people love to hear. So what you're telling us is, you know, this knowledge-based stuff we need to know. Because let's face it, people take an aspirin, they don't understand. It messes part of that clotting up for basically two weeks. So we take this stuff seriously.
1: Correct. And various drugs have various durations of effect and various types of effect. Some drugs affect the platelet, which is what forms that primary hemostatic plug that stops bleeding immediately. And other drugs affect the formation of a mature clot, a formation of mature fibrin, uh, and those are the typical anticoagulants. And the combination of those drugs can result in complete paralysis of the coagulation system.
0: You're right. And sometimes people have to be put on rather dramatic drugs like heparin and that sort of thing. We're not talking about that. Year. We're talking about some of these newer drugs that we see on TV, the Xarelto's and some of those that um, fall into kind of the Pradaxa family and that sort of thing. Um, and everybody overlooks aspirin, right?
1: People overlook aspirin, and although low-dose aspirin is effective secondary prophylaxis from both stroke and heart attacks. They also overlook dietary uh, input. For example, fish oil is associated with increased bleeding. Some drugs that you might be taking that aren't thought of as anticoagulants, for example, the, some of the antidepressants, cause increased bleeding. You bet. In addition, uh, the, uh, I mean, uh, turmeric, which is sold as curcumin, C-U-R-C-U-M-I-N, is, uh, increases the, the risk of bleeding, although it itself is effective analgesic.
0: But please tell your doctor, and, and and you said it, so our listeners heard one thing, if it's sold all over the counter, that doesn't mean it's benign. We need to know everything you're taking. You said fish oil. Who knew? You know? Um, I can tell you that we were, we've we heard lectures from you and Dr. K, um, who's been on the show, that uh, Fish oil, oh my gosh, if we don't know about it, it can be a problem. So, all right. So, okay, go through a couple of the different medications and t- and tell us what we should know so we can communicate with our doctor.
1: Well, it's critical to have that shared decision-making with your doctor about whether you decide to stop or not stop various anticoagulants that you're on. Clearly, if a patient is taking these medications, they're taking them for a medical indication prescribed by a clinician. So, Just stopping them without thinking is not reasonable. You need to decide where you want to risk bleeding versus risk a thrombotic uh, uh, complication. And that's a decision that you best make with your doctor, probably including the doctor who's prescribing the medications. Although some drugs have more specific guidelines, uh, the only consensus opinion is that low-dose aspirin, And the absence of other cofactors, for example, fish oil or curcumin, is probably reasonable therapy to continue. Beyond that, other therapies and that the guidelines do not have a consensus opinion.
0: And you said it. You said it. Talk to your doctor. Do not take this on yourself. Because we weigh the risk-reward benefit of these elective procedures, you know, optional procedures in real life. These are optional. These aren't emergency procedures. Against the possibility of having a stroke, having a heart attack, Um having any one of a number of problems that uh, could be initiated for the very reason they're on the anticoagulant. We don't want to initiate a problem that far exceeds the benefit we're going to give them from our procedure, correct?
1: I think that's the principle, and I think having the patient involved in that decision uh, is a critical component to having them engage in their own health care uh, and the step first step towards getting better.
0: Yeah. Any any other thoughts, Peter? Um, you know, throw it out there. People need to know that first of all, they should not self direct care. Talk to your doctor. Number two, let us know everything you're taking. Nothing is benign.
1: I had a patient who, uh, uh, to be helpful, went to their uh, stroke doctor and said, "Dr. Kosick is concerned about my Elquis. and the stroke doctor said well, that's fine, we'll transition you to low low molecular weight heparin for this before the procedure. And she said that and without informing me. The procedure was rescheduled for the day before she came in for the procedure, which I almost did until she mentioned that she just had her low molecular weight heparin 20 minutes before at the hospital. So keeping everybody involved in the loop of those decisions, including the interventionalist, is critical.
0: Yeah, it's exactly right. Well, great message, and thanks for uh, joining us today. Um, and once again, how, how can people get a hold of you in the Eugene area?
1: I'm, a, I'm a Peter Kosek. I'm at Pain Consultants of Oregon in Eugene, Oregon.
0: Yeah, great. And thanks again. Hope to have you on soon. Take care. Thanks, Peter. Really good stuff. I know it's confusing. It sounds funny, this coagulation cascade and all this sort of thing. Who Who knew, huh? But the problem is we have to know. We have to know every one of the medicines that you're on. Now, you heard it today. You heard that people think, well, I'm taking fish oil. <laughs> what, well, where could that be? That's a big deal. And we need to know that because there's a lot of people taking fish oil and other uh, herbals and other things that make a difference, not a little difference, a big difference. So when you're talking to your doctor or you come in for a procedure, everything you take goes in a bag. And we want to see them all. I can't tell you how many times, uh, actually being an anesthesiologist, before surgery, I look at a couple of things that are in there, and I go, whoa, okay. got to kind of change the way we do things, St. John's Ward, et cetera. But fish oil for bleeding, um, talk it over with your family doctor, talk it over with your interventionalist, and... Please don't come off any of your medicines unless you're cleared to do so by a responsible individual with the proper credentials, uh, particularly the ones that start you on these medicines. Because, as I said, the risk-award benefit may not be in your favor. I don't want you to have a stroke to come off uh, these medicines if, if it's an electro procedure. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but wouldn't that be something we could avoid? Well, maybe. So talk it over with your doctor. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And I've got... This is great because i 've got a whole bunch of doctors I cornered and they 've been just fantastic with their time I really appreciate all their words of wisdom and it really contributes toward paininformation.com the strong contributions that they give us allows us to grow hopefully rank and get to more folks so we 'll see you soon